0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. A few years ago, I came to the city, a newly minted graduate, ready to start his career in New York City. By happenstance, as I was exploring the neighborhood, I stumbled across Trinity Baptist Church. What drew me to Trinity was not only the wonderful teaching and worship, but also its size. Trinity is not too big that I would feel anonymous and not so small that I wouldn't meet new people, a Goldilocks church. I also enjoyed seeing different types of people of all ages and different backgrounds intermingling downstairs in a fellowship hall with the kids sipping along energetically. The fellowship of adults, children, and families gave me a sense of warmth. It seemed as if there was an actual community here. But as I started attending more regularly, I started wondering if I truly belonged here at Trinity. You see... There weren't many people my age here. It was sometimes difficult to find people to talk to. It Seemed a high percentage of people that attended Trinity already had families and were married, and parents often just talked with other parents. But one Sunday, I heard Pastor Keith give a sermon that urged the church to do more than just attend the church, you must be the church. So I started volunteering around Trinity, first serving communion, and then as an usher. But one day, I met a woman downstairs who's now a friend named Shadia. She had also noticed the lack of community for those in their 20s and 30s, and she decided to do something about it. She, along with me and a few other millennials here at Trinity, started a new ministry called The Walk. Through The Walk, we have organized social activities such as apple picking and lunches after church, as well as service opportunities such as serving dinner at the Bowery Mission and doing homeless outreach with Don't Walk By. The purpose of these events is not just about service, but to provide an opportunity for other millennials here at Trinity to meet and connect. Like any new ministry or startup even, we make mistakes and must often pivot to become more effective. But over the past year or two, as I've started to meet more millennials and see them attending and getting involved, I have a greater understanding of what it means to be the church. It means rolling up your sleeves and doing the work God has called all of us. In the process of rolling up your sleeves and serving and volunteering with others, you do make a place for yourself. If you want to be a part of God's story, then I encourage you to get involved and serve. It is through service and pursuing a common goal that we develop community. My name is Lee Davis, and I'm all in. Our scriptural reading is from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Lee. So we've um, we've been in this series called All In, talking about commitment and the power of commitments and. And what that means in our lives, and because we live in this culture that is is pretty commitment averse we're we're afraid to be tied down, we want to keep our options open we, you know waiting for the next thing to come along and and we kind of think that there's freedom if we don't make commitments, but what we've been discovering through this series is that really we experience freedom. We experience uh, intimacy in, in relationships when we make commitment. That's where, that's where real freedom, where, where our identity is often found. This morning, I want us to talk about an area of life where maybe the, the top area, if not the top, it's close to the top, where most all of us really want freedom, and that is what? financially, right? We want financial freedom. And I feel a little bit bad about saying this, but mine came in the mail this week. I got this in the mail and I thought, you know what? I don't know if anybody else got this, but this is my ticket to financial freedom. Um, it says, Keith D. Boyd, you have been pre-selected. They selected me before they even selected me. I mean, if you were a Presbyterian, this would be called double predestination. You have been pre-selected. It goes on, in this new year with your new card. I didn't even ask for a new card. And they're, and they're giving me one. That's how great this is. It says, you can exercise your new financial freedom. People with outstanding fi- financial credentials like yours deserve an outstanding credit card like ours. I mean, th- and this is this is the um, this is the platinum gold select sub silver double uranium card. <laughs> you have to have a lead lined wallet to carry this thing. It is it is awesome. He goes on and says, "Our credit line." matches your financial intelligence, which means I get the smart rate for smart people. Plus, with every dollar you spend, we will give you bonus points that raise your credit ceiling. That means that if I borrow everything I can today, I can borrow even more tomorrow. With a great rate like this, and it's the low, low rate of 24.99%. With a great rate like this, it makes sense to use your card and use it often. The sooner you start using your card, the sooner you'll start saving. I love that. See, the more I spend, the more I actually save. This is just, this is my ticket to financial freedom. It's right here. And what's really cool about this is they will let you make minimum payments. (laughs) You don't even have to pay the whole thing off at one time. Isn't that awesome? So let's do some math. Let's say I take my new double platinum uranium card. And I put ten thousand dollars on it. And because of the special low, low rate that I got and the minimum payment thing, I I only have to pay two hundred and thirteen dollars and fifty eight cents as my minimum payment. Now, if if I spend ten thousand and I spend two hundred and and I and I make the minimum payment And I do that faithfully. I never miss a month. I am faithful with that minimum payment. That means that I ought to be able to pay that $10,000 off in what? 47 months, right? $10,000 divided by 213, pretty easy math. 47 months or three, three and a quarter years. Well, because it's an interesting thing how interest works. Because if I... Take that ten thousand, and I make the minimum payment every month on time for not three and three quarters years, not four years, not five years, but a decade. never missing a payment. I will have paid twenty six thousand nine hundred and thirty dollars, but now I owe eleven thousand seven hundred and ninety. If you're astute, you will notice that I now owe more than I started with. Having already paid $26,000. Here's my point. Financial freedom is not going to come in the mail. Financial, what comes in the mail is an invitation to buy stuff. It's an invitation to accumulate things, it's an invitation to um, to acquire, but it's also an invitation to bondage, because it it draws you into this debt cycle that m- many people, maybe some of you, it just it's hell getting out of. You just can't get out. Um. There's an alternative wisdom. And that and this wisdom is deeply embedded in the kingdom of God. And it's about the role of commitment in our financial lives. And Jesus put it like this. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. See, this is a commitment that impacts all areas of our lives, including financial. Now, as we get into this, because this is a verse that I'm going to keep coming back to this morning, we need to be crystal clear on something. And I need you to repeat this after me. Jesus is not, say that giving us a formula, us a formula. For, getting for getting more money. Jesus is not giving us a formula for getting more money. Say that. Are we clear on that? Yes. Because there are people out there who preach that. And we've all heard them, probably. Probably. There are some high profile guys out there who take this and they, it's called the prosperity gospel. And they use this and say that, you know, giving to God is a way that you can just get richer and richer. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about this, this principle of the kingdom of God, that God is a generous God. And God wants to pour out his kingdom into our lives. Um, but he says that, that the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that if, if, I'm just, if I'm just a little bit generous then I'm just going to experience a little bit of the kingdom, a little bit of the joy, a little bit of the, the generosity, a little bit of the events, a little bit of the, the things that go along with the kingdom of God and the presence of God. If, because the measure I use, it's going to be measured to me. But if I'm, if I'm really generous, if I use a lot of generosity, then I'm going to experience more of the kingdom of God, more of the presence of God in my life. That's just a kingdom principle. We become generous when we step into this dynamic that is deeply embedded in the way the kingdom of God works. Um, So, a really important question that we need to ask is what measure will I use? Because Jesus says, For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give and it will be given. And that's not a prosperity deal. That's a, that's a kingdom principle. It's just how the kingdom works. Now we live in a culture that sends all kinds of messages about, you know, hold on to what you have. But I've noticed over the years that as people grow spiritually, they there are stages of giving that they go through. And so this morning I wanna I wanna talk through these four stages um and as i talk through them i i want you to ask i want you to ask two questions what stage am i currently in and what stage do i want to be in what stage do i feel like god is calling me to be in so you need to ask those questions here we go the first stage is the give nothing stage and this, this stage, the person is simply not giving anything anywhere. And this is more people than you might think. There's a sociolo- sociologist out of Notre Dame named Christian Smith who's done a lot of research on this. And he, in his research, he found that, that one out of every five people who, who claim to be followers of Jesus in, in the U.S., Twenty percent of American Christians do not give anything anywhere. That's people who follow Jesus. One in five don't give anything to any anywhere, either secular or religious. Um, and then the percentage goes up for people of no faith. They don't give anywhere. He says that the thinking, um, the, the thinking among these people is not that they're, they're not you know, wrestling with giving. They just don't think about giving at all. What they think about is the stuff they don't have. They're, they're not satisfied with where their life is, and therefore they keep looking for other things to spend their money on. Here's what the Scriptures say. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You see, people who don't give aren't thinking about the fact that they don't give. They're just thinking about all the stuff they don't have. And then it's also quite quite common for people who give nothing, which is a lot of people, It's common for them to think, well, if I had more money, I would be more generous. But what Smith found in his research is that the level of income had nothing to do with the level of generosity. That, um, generally speaking, people with lower incomes tended to give higher percentages of their incomes than people who had more money. So it's kind of... um, Backward. Friends, Jesus doesn't say that we need to give when we feel like we have enough. Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you with the measure you use. A lot of times when when you get to know God and you begin to pursue spiritual growth, um, if you've been in this give-nothing area, then you'll think, well, you know what, i got to get out of that category. And that will move you to the next stage. And the next stage is the uh, occasional giving stage. And the occasional giving stage is is where uh, it's pretty episodic. So you come to church and the the offering's being passed and you feel kind of guilty about not putting anything in because the person next to you did. And so you open your wallet and you look and if there's a, you know, a right size bill in there, you know, can't be too small because that looks stupid. Can't be too big because that would be stupid. Um, so you find the right size and you put that in or, or maybe you see an ad on television for some hungry child and, some part of the world, and you feel guilty, and so you write a check to that organization um, that's that's the kind of you know give when you when I feel led um, kind of thing well interestingly when when Christian Smith was doing this this research, he quotes a guy who who said um, he 's a follower of Jesus, and this guy said. We are to give, he said, Jesus said, we are to give as we feel led. Now, who can tell me what verse in the Bible where Jesus said we are to give as we feel led? Anybody find that? It's a hard verse to find (laughs) because it's not there. Um, Now, the Apostle Paul did say something similar. Paul said that we should give as we have decided in our heart. But see, what Paul's talking about is intentional giving. And that that whole passage in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about giving generously and joy, joyfully and, and that we should want to love to give just like God loves to give. See, that's Paul's message around giving. Um. The problem with with this occasional giving thing is that when I give because I feel guilty, then when that guilt goes away, so does my motivation for giving. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, and maybe you've heard this story, but um, reportedly there there was a, a an, an anonymous account set up by the IRS where people who had been cheating on their taxes, if they started feeling guilty about that, they could send anonymously money into this IRS account um, so that so that there would be no, you know, legal repercussions. And um, reportedly, they once got a, a, a check with a note attached. And the note said, um, I've been cheating on my taxes for years. Here's $1,000. If my conscience doesn't feel better, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) The idea is if I'm just giving as a way to assuage my conscience, when my mood changes, then my giving will change but the Bible teaches differently around giving. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. In other words, giving ought to be systematic It ought to be proportional in keeping with your income. And it ought to be intentional. Saving it up. And this leads to the next stage of giving that will often occur for people in their spiritual journey. And that's the stage of tithing. And I want to spend some time talking about tithing because um, that word gets thrown around a lot. and, and, And some people aren't really clear on what tithing means, so I want to talk about this. Um, Tithing is mentioned quite a lot um, in the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament. And there's a verse in Leviticus where God um, told Israel, he says, "'A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord.'" So that's just representative. There's a lot of stuff about tithing. The point is is that um, a tithe was to be brought to God. It was designated as God's. They wouldn't even talk about giving a tithe. They would talk about bringing a tithe. They would give an offering, but they would bring a tithe. So um, what exactly is a tithe? A tithe is 10%. You know, we throw that term around loosely. Some people say, well, I tithed $5 last week. Well, if you made $50 last week, then it would be a tithe to give $5. But a tithe literally is 10%. And to tithe means I give back to God a tenth of what he has given me, what he's blessed me with. Now, part of the teaching around... um, Tithing, because this was the Old Testaments in, in an agrarian economy, they would talk about first fruits. and that would mean that, that whatever the, the first 10 percent of their harvest, be it grain or grapes or whatever, um, they would take that first percent, first 10 percent to the temple, to the, the storehouse, and give that to God. That was first fruits. And so if we were doing thinking of of it today, it would mean that after I get my paycheck, I would then write a check to God of 10% of that. That would be the first check that I would write. And and if you're not familiar, a check is a paper thing that works as a substitute for cash. Um, Some of you know what a check is. Um, So anyway, a tithe is is the first 10% of whatever God blesses me with now some people will say well wasn't but but yeah that's old testament wasn't tithing just part of the law that Jesus came to free us from uh no actually actually tithing predates the law. Did you know that? Moses brought the law, but hundreds of years before, Moses was a guy named Abraham, and in Genesis 14, Abraham offered a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek. And many scholars believe, and I happen to agree with them, that Melchizedek is a prefiguring of Jesus. See, Abraham brought a tithe to God, long before the law was ever given. So, so tithing is not contained in the law. It, it predates the law. And then when Jesus comes along, Jesus never says, oh, now that I'm here, you don't have to tithe anymore. Jesus talks about tithing. Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth. You tithe of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says something similar in Luke 13. See, what Jesus is saying is tithing is a good thing. You should keep doing that but but tithing is just the warm-up act that just that's like training wheels on a bicycle. that just gets you started. That ought to lead you to justice and mercy and compassion and generosity. See that's what Jesus teaches. One of the ways I think about this is. You know, if I think about if I think about my stuff, and so over here is um, zero, and over here is a hundred percent of what I make. Okay, zero, hundred percent. So about right here is ten percent. So, what would generosity be for me? Is being generous going to be? being right of 10% or being left of 10%. For me, being generous is to be moving right. That's so so tithing is kind of a benchmark. And I, and I'm talking about tithing not because this is a legalistic thing. But I think that tithing is a good way to think about it because as I look at my, in, my income and I look at my giving, I can, I can determine if, if I'm giving 10% and I'm moving to the right, then God's growing me in generosity. But if I'm moving to the left, then the measure I'm using is not the measure I want to use because it's not the measure that God used with me. Because when we think about the fact that God went all in for us, that he sent his son, that Jesus died for us, that he has given us his Holy Spirit so that that we can we can live. Every gift is a is every day is a gift for me. Every breath is a gift for me. When I think about God's generosity in my life, I don't want to be left of ten percent. I want to keep moving as far right as I can go. Um, Here's another question some folks will have when it comes to tithing. Um, People will say, what if I can't afford to tithe? In the research that Smith did, only 10% of the people who follow Jesus give a tithe or more to God. And the number one reason... Um, behind that was they didn't feel like they could afford to tithe. You know, we tend to think, I can barely make it on, on 100% of my income. How can I make it on 90? Well, here's, here's the thing, guys. God's not asking you to make it on 90. God's saying, give me the first 10% and let's see what we can do together with all of it. There's a, there's a saying that 20 bucks is 20 bucks. You've heard that saying? 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Meaning, you know, the value of money is the value of money. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Well, there was a saying in, in the first century church, um, five loaves and two fish is five loaves and two fish. Except when you give them to Jesus. Five loaves and two fish, when you give them to Jesus, do amazing things. See, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Except when you give it to Jesus. Because what he can do with those $20 is so much more than what you can do and what I can do. There's this passage in the book of Malachi. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be not, there will not be enough room to store it. As far as I know, in all of the Bible... The only place where God invites people to test Him is in this area of tithing. It's it's like God knows that we're afraid. God knows that um, we're going to struggle to do this because we don't know how we're going to make ends meet, and and God says, "Check, test me. Just see if." If you do this, if I don't show up in your life in a way that blows you away, test me. So I'm going to throw something out to you. And I ran this past the trustees a couple of months ago, and they mulled on it. And, and we talked about it at a, at a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and they said, let's go for this. In your bulletin, there's a, an insert. If you'll pull that out, it's called the Tithe Challenge. And there's, there's a lot of language on there that, that you can read, and, and, and it gets into the specifics. But the idea behind this is very, very simple. The idea is, for 90 days, tithe. That's it. For 90 days, trust God with the first 10% of your income and see what happens. And if after 90 days, God hasn't shown up in your life in a significant way. and Or you find that it's unsustainable. If after 90 days, you say, this tithing thing doesn't work. Then you let us know. And we will give you back every cent that you've given to the church for the last 90 days. So there's there's no risk here. Um, the challenge is test God, test him. Let's see, see if this works. Um, you may want to pray about this for a little bit. You may want to think about it. You may have a spouse that you need to talk this through with. But um, if you want to, you can, you can sign up for this, this challenge today. Just put your name at the bottom and, and sign it legibly so that we can read who's doing this and and put the start date. It might be today, or maybe you bring it back next week or two weeks from now and put it in the offering plate. Um, You might want to start it at some point down the road. That's fine. But from the day that's your start day, for the next 90 days, our accounting team will track everything you give to Trinity, and if you come back after 90 days and say, this hasn't worked for me, we will give it all back to you test God. Just see. Because I'm convinced that when you give Jesus five loaves and two fish, it becomes more than that. And I think if you trust, if you will trust him with your finances and tithing, that he'll, he'll show up. I'm confident. And if you've got questions on that, you can talk to Connie. Connie's one of our trustees. um, Or you can talk to me. um, Anyway. Give and it will be given for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that leads to one more stage that I want to just say a word about. Um, Sacrificial giving. Jesus was watching folks give one time and there was a widow and she gave two of the smallest coins that existed. And when Jesus saw her do that, he, he said to his friends, he said, she's given more than everybody else because she has trusted God with everything. And some of you know a whole lot more about that than I do. There, um, there have been seasons in my life when Deanne and I have, have decided that we wanted to scale back our lifestyle and give sacrificially um, for a, a season, for a cause. There have been seasons, but um, we, don't, we don't live in that place. I'll tell you the place we do live. We've, since the beginning of our marriage, we, we have always tithed, at least, We've always wanted to be, you know, at the 10% moving right. And and you, you might say, well, Keith, you have a good job. You can afford to do that. Well, I do now. Haven't always. I mean, there were the first three years of marriage when I was in graduate school, we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills at the end of every month. And... um and yet we, the first check we would write every month was, was back to God. And so then we would write the checks to pay the rest of the bills. And, and sometimes it wouldn't cover and we would go, okay, well, we're going to have to hold these two aside and see what God does. And he always showed up. I mean, in crazy ways. I would go out to get in my car, to drive to school, put my hands on the steering wheel. I'd feel something on the backside of the steering wheel. There would be a $100 bill taped on it. Um, that happened several times. To this day, don't know who did it, how it got there. Um, we would have, you know, like an $197 in bills that still needed to be paid, and we'd be all out of money. And a few days later, we'd get a check in the mail for 200 bucks from somebody who said, the Lord told me to send this to you. And so we'd pay our bills and then go get a slice of pizza, you know? Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on about God's provision in our life. But the thing is, we just said, you know what? We're gonna be faithful to tithe more because that's what God calls us to. Now, I'm not telling you this to pat myself on the back. I'm telling you this to say that God always shows up. He always does. Sometimes it's not in the way we think He will. Sometimes it's not even financial, but there's another way that He shows up where you go, oh, that's what He was trying to do in my life. The biggest risk you can run financially is to not. Trust God with your money. That's the biggest risk. Here's the deal. Um, Financial freedom is not going to come in the mail. Financial freedom is not going to come when you have more money. Financial freedom is going to come when you invest wisely. And investing wisely means you invest in the kingdom of God. You see, money doesn't love you. Money didn't die for you. Money can't save you. But God does love you. God did die for you. And God wants to pour His kingdom so generously into your life that He can't stand it. But the only thing is, He has said that the measure you use is the measure that will be used for you. Let's be generous people. Let's be all in with regard to our finances. Let's use a huge measure. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that you have measured um, well, that that the measure you used for us was your life. That you literally went all in for us where you sacrificed your, your life so that we might have life. Lord, may we recognize that and may that be a Um, a motivator for us regardless of which stage we are at in this giving journey Um, lord help us to recognize where we are and then lord help us to see where you would have us to be Lord, we want to be generous people. One of the the core values of our church is generosity. And the only way that we can become generous is to exercise that giving muscle. And so, Lord, help us to do that for your name's sake. Amen.